everyone. Welcome to Bone Chillers Podcast. Welcome to episode 10. I'm quite excited that we are on episode 10. That's quite an achievement, I think. Um, so welcome. Uh, we're here. We're going to tell you some stories where we try to chill you to the bone. I am returning today with our um, serial killer expert, Hale. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I know that we had Halloween... Was it last week? I've lost all sense of time. Yeah, these days. Like <laughs> did you get up too much? Uh, no, I worked. Um, did yeah. you dress up? No. Oh. <laughs> I just this whole like Halloween is my favorite uh, holiday ever, and yeah, me too. I've just like this year I've just been like, uh, what's the point? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I came home from work. I was like, uh, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> Yeah. Like, how has this amazing holiday just become nothing? Oh, uh, that's 2020. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> like, we were out, and um, Rupert was like, oh, should we buy candy? We don't have any candy. And I was like, there's no point in buying candy. Nobody's going to come around. He's like, yes, there is. There's what happens. They're going to come, or we're not going to have anything. And I was like, you don't need to worry about it. And I think he, like, deep down knew that nobody was going to come and just wanted the candy for himself. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> and I was like, look, you see, I was correct. Though I did see the picture of the makeup that you guys did, and I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, because <laughs> we went to, they have, um, it's kind of like an equivalent of the dollar store, but it's called Poundland. <laughs> 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 so we went to Poundland, and I was like, oh, should we just get some, like, random makeup? Do you like, <laughs> like how it is called? <laughs> oh, man. So good. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think they also have Pound World. That's a very different kind of store here in the States. (laughs) I'll tell Poundland that it needs to go to the US just so that you can frequent (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah. So they just had like makeup. I don't know. And they were, they they called it anime makeup. And I was like, I don't really know what anime makeup is. Yeah. But I was like, why don't we just do pop art? And then we just sat here because <laughs> we were doing an, uh, a mystery a murder mystery that week and it was like the interrogation night and they're like oh dress up as your scary monster and I was like well we're not <laughs> a monster but I can't be bothered to do anything else that's cute I loved it <laughs> thanks and <laughs> um, yeah so that was a, my Halloween was a bit depressing we started watching Candyman but then halfway through we were just like oh, let's go to yeah. bed yeah <laughs> Yeah, was one of those. That was one of those movies I watched. Like I watched the original one when I was younger, and everyone, you know, my parents were like, "Oh, it was like the scariest movie when it came out." And I watched it. I was like, "This is terrible." (laughs) (laughs) It's so slow and it's so serious. Yeah, it's like way too serious for its own good. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, obviously, I think we have like half an hour left. But this was we watched it Halloween night, and it's almost a week later, and we still haven't gone back to watch it. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, it's a shame because we tend to try to watch lots of horror films, mostly the right. classics. But we didn't even just couldn't be bothered, really. Yeah, I felt. I mean, I just felt like October in general went really fast. It did. But also maybe that's just compared to the last few months. <laughs> I feel like it has just been the same 
Well, for yeah. me anyway, it's just the same every single day. Yeah, I feel like it's been three years since March. So. <laughs> yeah, it has. But it's also like slow and fast at the same time. Right. Which yeah. is also like, really looking, weird to me. Right, it's like slow while it's happening and then you look back and it's like, oh wow, it's already November. Exactly. And everyone's like, oh, Christmas. And I'm like, oh, please. Don't even. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the Grinch this year. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> I'm just going to put on The Nightmare Before Christmas. Although, every day. <laughs> every day. Because <laughs> that's just me always. Grump. <laughs> but we, uh, Rufredo and I have an argument where, is it a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? It's a Halloween movie. See, I like to think it's a Halloween movie, but then he's like, no, it's Christmas. And then Christmas will come around and be like, okay, well, we have to watch it now. And he'll be like, no, it's Halloween. I'll be like, well, you can't. <laughs> No. Make a decision. <laughs> that works. Yeah. Or, and then, like, I'll just be like, yeah, look, see, it's Halloween. So we watch it on Halloween and then also on Christmas. And we're like, haha, I win. <laughs> it's both. It is both. <laughs> um, so, would you like to go first with your serial killer story? Oh, yes. <laughs> Excellent. I cannot wait. All right. So, I'm doing BTK, who is one of the most infamous. Um, I have so much information on him, so I don't Excellent. know how long we're going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a, uh, a warning that we've got. Yeah. Serial killer is like, because well, I, I obviously did my research for the one today as well. And it's just there's so much because yeah. people are so intrigued by their lives. So right. there's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, people might have to listen to this in two goes, but. Right. Yeah. Split it you up. You were warned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So Dennis Lynn Rader was born in Pittsburgh, Kansas on March 9th, 1945 to William and Dorothea Rader. Um, normally serial killers have pretty bad childhoods, um, like traumatic and whatever. But Dennis had kind of a normal childhood. Like his parents oh. loved him, which is kind of rare in the serial killer uh, world. Um, <laughs> though his, his mother did admit to dropping him on his head as a baby and heavily <gasps> smoking while pregnant. Great. Uh, <laughs> Not the best of starts. Yeah, so he kind of tried to use that to, like, excuse his behavior. Um, but if everyone whose mother smoked while pregnant became a serial killer, the 70s would have been even worse than they already were. <laughs> um, so he kind of, like, later in life justified his bloodlust um, by telling stories of watching his grandmother twisting the heads off of chickens that would be made for dinner that night. Um, but again, it's kind of like everyone in Kansas saw that. <laughs> Very true. Um, so when he was young, he would kind of like peep on his neighbors and like just be a little creep. Mm. Um, he continued the fantasy with his fifth grade teacher. Uh, he would sneak into her backyard and then like watch her and fantasize about like tying her up because like that was his thing. <laughs> right. Um, he had such a fascination with binding people that he would tie himself up and created like this elaborate contraption to like take a Polaroid of himself while he was tied up. What? Uh, yeah, and this is when he was in fifth grade. So, <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness. Um, by the time he was in sixth grade, uh, he had already learned about H. H. Holmes and his like infamous murder hotel. Uh, do you right. know about? Do you know H. H. Holmes? No, I don't. Oh, my, I would love to do an episode on him. <laughs> oh yeah, please. <laughs> All right, planning for the future already. <laughs> um, so, H. H. Holmes. Uh, murder hotel had suffocation rooms trapdoors, and corpse shoots um, oh my god all yeah all designed to murder and cleanly dispose of young women um 
So wow. to to Dennis Rader, this was like heaven, you know? Mm. He was like, I want to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to stay there. One night, he, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One night is all you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, so he decided to, like, kind of sketch up his own version of, like, his murder hotel. Um, but he called it his girl trap and showed the other boys in his class. And <gasps> his, his classmates were like, dude, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, he watched the Mickey Mouse Club, like, obsessively. Um, he was focused on one Mouseketeer in particular named Annette. Um, he would think about capturing her and bringing her back to Kansas. Wow. Yeah. I guess he so, was still young at this point. Yeah, this was around fifth or sixth grade. Right. Um, which might be a little too old to watch Mickey Mouse Club, but I don't know. Maybe the <laughs> maybe the maybe the early fifties were different. Yeah. <laughs> um, he then started creating traps to capture stray cats, um, which is like this kid, like he was like, you know innovative he was like building traps and stuff when he was mm. young um but you know killing cats is typical serial killer behavior yeah <laughs> um he was kind of, he was inspired by like detective magazines and became obsessed with serial killers good which again i'm gonna bring up again is the difference between me and dennis Rader. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not obsessed <laughs> i'm interested <laughs> yeah there you go. That is a big difference. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so the thought of breaking into a home, tying up the family, and killing them one by one excited him greatly. Wow. Um, yeah. There's a he. He said later on, he was like, "I don't know how nobody noticed that something was wrong with me when I was younger." And everyone's oh like, my "Yeah." Goodness. <laughs> So like he was he was always very self aware that he was different and that like what he wanted was bad, right? Um. So his first uh, breaking and entering wasn't all that fantastic. He broke into his old high school, walked around, wrote some dirty words on the chalkboard, and left. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Um. Uh. This was kind of the beginning of the cat and mouse game with police that he would be so like interested in until he got caught. Right. Um, so in 1966, he traveled an hour and a half north uh, to Salina, Kansas. He broke into a home while it was empty because um, he wanted to kind of like ease himself into his newfound hobby. Right. Um, <laughs> he decided to take it a step further on the way out to so grab the set of keys and stole the car that was in the driveway. <laughs> which That's is like, not good. Yeah, he which obviously is, like, is not of driving age. Uh, or is he? He was 21. Oh, okay. So he can drive now. Okay. Yeah. Fine. He can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, so at this point, he kind of like started training himself to act human because he was like self-aware of how weird he was. Mm. Um, he started hanging around a, a local frat house. Uh, so he became popular there, but not enough to like gain a reputation. Like he just wanted to kind of be noticed. Right. Um, he also discovered an, an important social tool and cover, which was the church. Um, so he joined the church in college and rose through the ranks and eventually became the deacon. So everyone was like, this guy's great, you know? He's, you know, the leader of the church right now. Always with the false pretenses. Like, the guy last week was just babysitting kids. Yeah. <laughs> just to yeah. get everyone's trust. Right. Uh. 
Um, right, as bad as it sounds, these guys are smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, their religion meant nothing to him, but it gave him a way to kind of appear as a normal American and someone who could be trusted. Right. Um, he also volunteered for the Air Force during the Vietnam War. Um, he was stationed north of Tokyo as a mechanic, um, and he joined other infamous serial killers like David Berkowitz, Leonard Lake, and Gary Ridgway. Um, they all served in Vietnam, but none of them ever saw combat. Oh. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, if you look back, there's a lot of serial killers that uh, were that served in Vietnam. I wonder if they were hoping for something to happen, maybe? Pro- yeah, I think I think it's part of that. Like he was hoping that he would see combat to maybe, you know, get some of his urges out. Right. Um, but also, I think it was a way for people to look at him and be like, "Oh, look at him! He volunteered for to go to Vietnam instead of being yeah. drafted." Right. He can't be that bad. Right. But when he was in Japan, that's when he began stalking women. Oh. <laughs> so Never mind. He would. Yeah. He would kind of hop over the the fence of the air force base um catch a bus to a populated area and then follow him home um he found a new hobby and he liked this one better than the old one uh, <laughs> yeah he was like wow instead of just breaking into houses i can follow these women home oh god um but then like while he was there he was kind of like okay this is just like a hobby that i have here because there's nothing else to do um like once i get back to the states i won't do this okay um but Instead, it led to a quadruple murder. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. So, after Dennis Rader returned from Japan, he met uh, his wife at church. Um, they were married in less than a year. And after they got married, uh, Rader got a job at Cessna Aircraft Company working on the assembly lines. Um, so, at this point, uh, work was steady, his marriage was happy, uh, and his standing in the church brought him respect. You know, like, he was respected in the community. Everyone mm. knew Dennis Rader is a cool guy. <laughs> um, Such a hero. And, yeah, what a hero. War hero. <laughs> and then in 1973, he was laid off. Oh. Yeah, and this is kind of a common uh, occurrence among serial killers. Like, everything will be going really well, but they still have these urges. Uh, and then mm. one, like, one trigger or one stressor happens and kind of the anger and frustration just destroys whatever is holding them back from actually murdering people. Right. Um, so his wife Paula became the breadwinner, and he kind of felt worthless at this point. Um, and then he was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to doing my favorite thing and stalking women. Great. <laughs> so um, he started again with breaking and entering when the family wasn't home. It kind of like made him feel alive because he was getting away with this crime. Um, so then he, every day he would drop off his wife at work and then go sit in the parking lot of a local mall watching women walk Mm. in and out. Um, and then he started focusing on this brunette woman who worked in the bank in the mall. Mm -hmm. Um, on a winter day in 1973, Raider set, set out to kidnap the woman. Um, Raider didn't account for this going wrong. He kind of just, like, in his magazines, he would read about women getting abducted in parking lots, and he was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. So, as soon as he laid a hand on her, the woman screamed and fought back, so he threw her to the ground and ran away. (laughs) Wow, good one. I mean, good on her, really, but come on. God, you need to... (laughs) 
put a little bit more effort. Yeah, no preparation. <laughs> um, wow. So, you know, he kind of figured out snatch and grab wasn't his game. <laughs> like tactic. Um, right. Yep. So um, these homicidal fantasies needed to be played out in the victim's home where Raider could have full control. Um, in January of 74, Raider spotted a mother uh, loading three kids into her car. Uh, he returned the next day to observe the family's routines. He had chosen his next victim. Hmm. Day after day for weeks, Raider would come to the Otero's street, uh, gathering information. The discovery that Julie was not a single mother was a disappointment, as Dennis had no interest in men. Uh, but this wasn't enough to deter him, so he just kind of took detailed notes on the family schedules uh, from nine-year-old Joey Jr. to the father, Joseph. Wow. Um, on January 15th, 1974, as Julie and Joe were getting the kids ready for school, Dennis Rader was sneaking into their backyard. He noticed that only one car was in the driveway, um, so he assumed that Joe Sr. had left for work early. Right. Um, so he kind of he walked up to the back of the house and cut the phone line, and as he was cutting the cord, uh, the back door opened, and little nine-year-old Joey was standing in front of him. Oh no! Raider drew his Colt Woodsman twenty two and a <gasps> knife from his jacket, aiming them at Joey's face and ushering him back inside. Oh. A complication. That's yeah. A complication in his plan presented itself immediately when he walked in and Joe Senior was standing in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Just is not having the best of luck, I see. Yeah, no. He's <laughs> yeah. Um so it turns out Joe Sr. had wrecked his car a few days prior, and that's why the car wasn't in the driveway. Right. <laughs> um, Otero asked if this was some kind of prank, and Raider assured him that it was very much real. Wow. So, Dennis gathered the four members of the family that were home. Joe, Julie, Joey, and Josephine. I guess they had a thing for James. <laughs> I was gonna say, there's yeah. definitely a theme there. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna find that a lot, actually. Like, a lot of the people have, like, siblings and stuff have, like, the same letter. That's weird. Right. <laughs> Kansas. <laughs> yeah. What else do they have to do with their time, I guess? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so he kind of, like, made small talk with Joe, and he made it seem like he just wanted to rob them and take the car, um, like, to kind of get away to California because he want. Uh, he said that he was on the run from the law. Right. Um, so he basically said that if they cooperated, they'd be fine. Right, I see. Um, right. And at this point, he hadn't decided if he was going to kill the whole family yet um, because he was focused on Julie and Josephine, so the mother and daughter. Right. Because he had no interest in men or boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he realized that he forgot to pull down his ski mask, so the whole family... Saw his face, so he was like, oh, I have to kill the whole family. Oh. He tied up each family member in the master bedroom and strangled each of them with plastic bags. Shit. Yeah. So, he kind of had this, like, secret trademark um, where he would break into a house, kill a family, and then once they were all dead, he would take a glass from like the cabinet he would fill it drink it and then wipe it clean and put it back so like nobody ever knew that it happened but like he knew so that made him feel good i guess right um so weird. dennis left yeah weird <laughs> he's a weird guy 
Dennis left in Julio Otero's car, grabbing a small radio and a few mementos from his first successful kills. He went to a nearby parking lot and switched the cars and headed home to his wife, who was just like, hey, honey, how you doing? Ah, you'll never guess what I did today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next victim Dennis Rader settled on was Catherine Bright. This story is insane. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, this one's crazy. So, again, he spent weeks preparing. Um, his plan was to gain entry by playing the part of, like, a frustrated student looking for a quiet place to study. Right. Um, which is, like, if someone knocked on my door and was like, can I study here? I'd say no. A hundred percent. I'd be like, like, no. Go to the library. Yeah. It's open. <laughs> There's a park across the street. Yeah. <laughs> so strange. Um, so when he knocked on the door, on Catherine's door, nobody was home. So he went around the back of the house. He smashed his way in through the back door, um, and he kind of he cleaned up the shards and waited for, for them to get home. He waited in the bedroom, right? Which like is another thing that terrifies me about this guy because like these people would get home and he was already in their house. Yeah, that's terrifying. You know. Um. So while he was waiting for her to come home, he took his gun off. Like he took the safety off. To, like, be prepared. And the yeah. gun went off and fired a bullet into the floor. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it's like a so comedy act. It re- yeah, it's like it really everything, is. Something has to go wrong every single time. Yes. <laughs> there, I think there's only one or two times where everything goes to plan. Other than that, it always it's always a mess. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so the house smelled of gunpowder, but he decided to take the risk and just wait anyway. Of course he did. Yeah. Um, again, his plans were foiled. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) By an unexpected male joining the fray. Catherine's brother, Kevin. Um, deciding he had to go through with the murder no matter what, Raider stepped out into the living room, giving the Brights the same story he had given the Oteros. Uh, the siblings were tied up with bandanas and nylons from Catherine's bedroom. This is where it gets crazy. Mm. (laughs) Um, as Raider was strangling him, Kevin broke his bounds and charged the dentist. Raider quickly drew his twenty-two and shot Kevin before going back to Kathy. When Raider went back to check on Kevin, he was still alive and had broken out of his wrist tethers. Bright left leapt up off the ground and grabbed control of the gun from Dennis, but Raider managed to fire another shot directly into Kevin's face. Oh. Raider decided it was time to finish all of this. He just wanted to go home. <laughs> um, so he went back to strangle Kathy. Wow. Um, but she had already broken out of her bindings, which you would think he spent his whole childhood tying himself yeah. up. I was going to say, wasn't he like a pro tying yeah, himself up? And he definitely, <laughs> definitely should have been. Um, so he chased her around the room, stabbing her multiple times. Um, and then he heard a noise. Kevin wasn't dead yet. <laughs> the bullet had ricocheted off of his teeth and he had run outside yelling for help. What? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> like, what I don't. What were his teeth made out of? Honestly, <laughs> that man is like the luckiest man. Yeah. Because um, what? <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. That is insane. Um, so you know, Dennis was like, "Oh no, I have to get out of here." Yeah. Um. So he ran out the back door. Um. And when the cops arrived. Kathy was laying in a pool of her own blood and she died four hours later, but Kevin didn't die. Like, Kevin survived. 
Really? Yeah. I was like, this guy, <laughs> this guy should go play the lottery. Yeah, he really should. Um, so he just, he escaped, and then, do you know what happened to him after? Kevin? Yeah. No, I'm not sure. Oh. Um, I know he, like, when the police got there, he, um, like, gave a description of Dennis Trader. <gasps> right. And things like that. I don't know how, with no teeth, but... <laughs> <laughs> the least of his problems i guess yeah i guess so <laughs> <laughs> um so the investigators of the bright murder were hesitant to connect uh that with the other family murder mm. um their reasoning for that was that the tethers were different and the phone line hadn't been cut at the bright residence um but in the end it was kind of just more comforting to not connect them because they didn't want to believe that there was a serial killer in yeah. the city makes sense yeah um, so, like I, uh, like I said, a sketch was put out of Dennis. Um, he felt that it was close to his likeness, but everyone was like, that's not you. You're head of the church. You couldn't kill anybody. Oh my god, so people were actually like, oh yeah, that looks like, ha ha ha, that looks like you. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it wasn't until a sex offender who had been arrested for having sex with a duck started giving hints that he and his brother. <laughs> what is wrong with people? This is Kansas, man. Jesus. So, um, yeah, had sex with a duck, got arrested. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, duck. And yeah, I know. <laughs> and he started giving hints that him and his brother were involved in the Otero murders, um, which kind of gave the police a lead, and they were like, oh, good, we don't have a serial killer, it's just these two stupid brothers. Right. <laughs> these weirdos. Right. <sighs> but um, upon hearing that somebody else was taking credit for his crimes, uh, Dennis decided it was time for his alter ego to make a public appearance. So, what? yeah, you'll kind of notice this a lot. He needs attention. Right. And that'll end up being his downfall. At the end. Yeah, I bet. Um, so he called into a tip line for the Otero murders and said that the man uh, who killed the family left a letter inside a textbook at the public library. Um, he wanted people to believe that he was kind of intelligent and sophisticated. Um, mm. He looked up to Jack the Ripper a lot. Right. Um, so Detective Bernard Jarwatsky went to the library, found the textbook and the letter, the envelope that contained the letter was labeled with three words. Bill Thomas Kilman. Hmm. Uh, and then Raider went on hiatus for three years. <laughs> wow. That's a long yeah. time. Yeah. His, uh, it was right after his son was born, um, but one didn't really have to do with the other. He continued stalking and always had kind of an active project. Ah. Uh. Um. Yeah, he'll he'll do this he'll do this a lot. He'll just kind of go on hiatus for a couple years. Oh, at a time. Um, so in 1977, Raider decided he wanted to unleash BTK once again. Right, and that's um, his alter ego. Oh, right, of course. Yep. Yeah, so that's the initials of this thing that he's made up. Right. Okay. Right. Got it. <laughs> um. So this time he settled on Cheryl Gilmore. Um, who was a regular at like a local college bar that mm -hmm. uh, Dennis went to. Um, so in the morning, 
Raider dressed as a police detective and loaded his, loaded his hit kit, um, which is, you know, what he called... He was very dramatic. <laughs> um, he kind of, like, gave everything a name, and he kind of played it up a lot. Yeah. Um, so he called it his hit kit, um, and it was electrical tape, cord, a gun, plastic bags, and a photograph of a little boy. Um, oh. So, a story Do you know about... who the little boy was? No, I'm not sure. I don't know where oh. he got it. <laughs> found it and they liked it and decided to put it in there wow yeah <laughs> um so basically his pass key was going to be the story about a missing child he was going to go up dressed as a police detective and be like oh, you know have you right. seen this boy i see um however at the last second he decided to change his mind and he abandoned all of all of the work that he'd prepared for this murder mm. um instead he chose a neighbor who lived two doors down from cheryl um, Shirley Vianne was homesick with the flu with her three children. Uh, one of the children had been sent to the neighbors to borrow a can of chicken soup when Raider stopped him. Uh, he showed him the photo, asked him if he had seen the missing boy, um, and the son said that he hadn't seen the boy, and he headed back home to his mother. So, moments later, Raider knocked on the sh- on Shirley's front door and gave her the same story. Have you seen this boy? You know, we're looking for him. Mm. Um, and she was like, yeah, come in, tell me all the details. <laughs> so oh, she's straight up invited him in. Mm. And right away, he pulled out his gun. He forced the three kids into the bathroom and took Shirley up to the bedroom and bound her with electrical tape and cords. He didn't give her a chance, did he? No, not he at all. right on I was like, Jeez. I was like, damn, she has the flu. <laughs> like, relax. She's already feeling terrible. Yeah, exactly. Oh. All, all she wanted was soup, man. <laughs> oh. uh, so, again, he ended her life by placing a plastic bag over her face the same way uh, he had done to all the Oteros. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went to get the kids from the bathroom, but then the phone rang. And he was, like, it kind of, like, spooked him. So he was like, let me just get out of here. Right. Um, so he just, like, kind of grabbed some jewelry and some other trophies and left. Oh. Um, so because there was so long between the Oteros and, uh, the Vians, uh, Wichita police, uh, were like, no, it's not BTK. It can't be BTK. Right. I know that I, <laughs> they were basically like, I know there's evidence, but it can't be BTK. <laughs> just because of the time. Yeah, and because right. they... Again, they were kind of just, like, in denial. Yeah. Um, so, in 1977, um, uh, in 1977, Dennis Rader, uh, murdered Nancy Fox. This was one of the only murders that kind of went exactly as planned. He went in, uh, broke through a window, she got home, he walked out into the living room, said, I'm BTK, I'm a bad guy, and killed her. Wow. It's like, wow, real clever. (laughs) <laughs> well i guess if she was gonna die she's not gonna tell anyone so it's yeah, okay i guess you can so. tell her his secrets yeah but also i guess because we have this information he told everybody after <laughs> he, was, he was obviously like, proud had... of what he did yeah right he uh wow. so he knew she lived alone and it would be days before anybody found her and he didn't want to wait that long to see his work, like, plastered all over the front pages. Mm. Um, so the morning after the murder, he used a payphone to call the police and report the homicide himself. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's like, 
do you want to get like I know he wants recognition, but he needs to be know. a bit more careful. Like I'm like, why is this person always reporting these things that nobody right. else would have <laughs> ever known? Right. It was uh because uh this was around the time that like caller ID was just starting and like right. obviously like the police had caller ID so they could trace it back to this one payphone. Yeah. And when they went, all they saw was like the receiver like dangling ominously like in a horror movie. Ooh. Like this guy's so dramatic. <laughs> How funny. Um so detectives were now just starting to see a pattern. They they Hello? were like, Oh they were like, Oh, Nancy Fox's phone line was cut. So you know, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but again, they weren't fully convinced, so all of the information about these murders were kept from the public, so nobody knew. Right, I see. I guess it would this... cause a bit of hysteria. Yeah. If they did. But al- but also, it would be like, stop letting people into your house. I mean, sure, but also, people should just not do that anyway. I or mean, even if yeah. they thought it was a good idea to begin with. They'd be like, right. ooh, even if this is not the same guy, there's... <laughs> group of people who keep going into other people's houses and killing whoever lives inside. Oh, right. maybe I should stop this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, after the police still weren't convinced, Raider decided that it was time to reach out to the press. Because he was like, come on, guys, get it together. <laughs> um, so he spent weeks writing a seven-line poem, and he submitted it to the local paper on February 1st. Would you like to hear? I would. Yeah. Shirley locks, Shirley locks. (laughs) Wilt thou be mine? Thou shalt not scream or yet fee the line, but lay on the cushion and think of me in death and how it's going to be. BTK poem for Fox next. It took him weeks to write that. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) He. He thinks he's so creative. Um, well, he's a trier. But... I'll give him that. <laughs> um, to his dismay, the poem was not published. I wonder well, why. no kidding. <laughs> Did he actually think that they would p- publish this? Like, he just really here? wanted it out in the paper. Oh, God. Um, so he was upset about that. He was kind of, you know, down in the dumps about it. Oh. So he sent another poem to Cake TV. Um, with a two-page complaint that the sender had not gained the notoriety of other serial killers. Um, So in the letter that he sent to Cake TV, he suggested some nicknames for himself. Which is never a good idea. No. Um, You don't give yourself a nickname. It's just something (laughs) that happens. Yeah, and he's tried it, like, obviously more than once because he gave himself BTK. He's right. like, no, that's, that didn't do. I'm going to try again and do right. more. <laughs> so some of the some of the nicknames that he suggested for himself were the BTK Strangler, which obviously stuck. Yeah. Um, but he also uh, suggested the Wichita Strangler, the Poetic Strangler, and this one's, <laughs> this one's my favorite, the Garot Phantom. What? Oh my goodness. He's like, is just trying to cover all bases, right? But I got the poetry in there, got the strangling in there. But what does that mean, that last one? Garot Phantom? Yeah. 
A garrote is like what you use to strangle somebody. Oh, but why a phantom? Because a phantom's like, oh, I guess it's like a ghost and it's spooky. Maybe. Or maybe just because he hasn't been caught yet. I don't know. Either way, it's stupid. Oh, maybe. (laughs) I like the poetic one. It's got like a romantic twinge to it. Yeah, the poetic strangler. Yeah. If only he was actually... Yeah, if only he was actually good at poetry. (laughs) Maybe that's why that one didn't stick. God. Um, so at this point, after he sent that in, it was kind of undeniable that a serial killer was, you know, going around Wichita. Um, so the local police put together a task force of the best detectives that they had. You want to know what that group of detectives were called? Yep. The hot dog squad. Oh my God. Why? I I don't know. They, the hot dog squad, they were also known as the Ghostbusters. Oh, that's so cringe. Yeah, the hot dog squad. It's like, that sounds terrible. Why would you name yourself that? <laughs> I look, cannot even think of a reason why they would do that. Yeah, it's like, it's like they were all like sitting around. They're like, like, what do we name ourselves? Like, what? Like we have to have like a cool name. And they're like, you want a hot dog? And it's like, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they need to take, they need to ask BTK for what he would call them. Because he obviously has really good ideas. Yeah, oh, yes. Wow. Um, So in 1978, Vader's daughter was born. He disappeared again for six years. Wow. He took another break. Which is like, you know, good on him, I guess. He wants to spend some time with his daughter. Yeah. (laughs) But what are the hot dog gang going to do? Just sitting around crying yeah, for six years they, because I can't yeah, do anything. Basically. They like put this task force together and then BTK was like, peace out for six years. Yeah. And the hot dog squad was like, oh, all right, let's go get a hot dog. <laughs> oh, random. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in 1985, he decided to kind of break the mold of conventional serial killers um, by killing somebody that he knew personally. Oh. So generally with serial killers, they don't do that. And yeah. he was like, you know what? I'm going to be different. I'm going to get my name in the newspapers. I'm going to kill my neighbor. <gasps> right. Uh-oh. So, yeah. So under uh, the ruse that he was on a Boy Scout camping trip with his son, because he was actually a Boy Scout leader as well. Um, so he was like, yeah. Um, so he went to the camping trip with his son uh, and then kind of snuck away. Uh, during the night and he snuck into the backyard of Marine Hedge who was his neighbor Mm -hmm. um, cut the phone line, broke into the back door with a screwdriver and waited in her closet uh, for her to arrive home Um, (laughs) terrifying but again when she arrived she had a man with her (laughs) (laughs) wow so Dennis kind of just stayed in the closet until the guy left (gasps) Which is so unnerving. Like, I was I was reading a book about him last night, and it was... I was like, I, like, looked in my closet. I was like, <laughs> I, like, checked under my bed. I was like, oh, my God. It was, like, yeah, two I, in the morning. I was like, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> but you hear things like this that people, like, will sneak into... What is it, like, hidden rooms and stuff and just live in there? So... You have people living in your house and you have no idea. Yeah, it's like the stories of like 
oh, they thought there was, like, a raccoon in the attic, but it was really, like, a homeless man that had been living there yeah. for three years. Yeah. And, and like, stealing food out of their fridge. <laughs> That's Which is another terrifying. thing. Because I'm in my room right now. I was in my room last night when I was reading the book, and the door up to the attic is in my room. Oh, no. Be careful. <laughs> I was like, I went downstairs and made sure the door was locked. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Just somebody being in your house is not a good feeling. Yeah, no. Well, no. It's not. <laughs> um, so he waited in the closet um, until he left, and then she you know got undressed she went to bed whatever and he just kind of like crawled into bed next to her um she screamed raider silenced her quickly and strangled her to death jesus yeah he wrapped the body in blankets and carried out to marine's car um threw her in the trunk and drove to the church that he was the deacon at right um there he decided to have a photo shoot with the body so he kind of just like posed her in different positions around the church and took pictures. What? Yeah. I guess nobody else would have like walked in or anything. Can right. you imagine? Yeah, nobody was there at that point. But um, he, when he was done, he put her back in the trunk and just kind of dumped her in a ditch. It's mm. like you went through all that work to like take pictures of her and whatever, and then you just dump her in a ditch. Yeah, why? Well, have some respect. Well, clearly he didn't have any to begin with, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, BTK's next murder took place a year later. So, he t- he went, went another year with no incident. Um, it was a single mother named Vicky Weggerly. Um, but after she was murdered, since there was no contact uh, from BTK about the murders... The hot dog squad was like, oh, it wasn't BTK because he didn't claim it. Right. Which is and something I, he would have definitely done. <laughs> right. But also now I start, you know, realizing why they're called the hot dog squad. Because it's like, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, in 89, Raider lost his job once again. <laughs> oh. That's um, never good. Yeah. Uh, but he replaced it with a position in field ops at the U.S. Census Bureau, um, which gave him a legal excuse to knock on doors without invitation. Wow, that's so sneaky. Yeah. Um, so in that time period when he worked uh, at the Census Bureau, he stalked over 30 women, uh, but he didn't kill or attack anybody in that time period. Okay. Um. So, as the 90s began, you know, early 90s, he started to feel the need to kill again. Um, Mm. But this kind of came from the 80s, the 70s and 80s, being full of headlines about Ted Bundy, Richard Ramirez, and even, like, kind of unknown murders, like the Green River Killer. Right. Um, But nobody was talking about BTK, and Dennis didn't like that. No, he wouldn't, would he? So, yeah, he was, was, like, completely unknown outside of Wichita. Right. Um... And he really just wanted, like, a level of notoriety only matched by Jack the Ripper. <laughs> like, if you're looking up to Jack the Ripper, like, you know, get it together. Yeah, stop leaving six years in between. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 91, Raider chose Dolores Davis as his next victim. Uh, completely... Uh, forgetting or just kind of leaving the thought of being sneaky behind he kind of just threw a cinder block through the back door and (laughs) went in 
he's given up. Yeah, uh, so it was while she wasn't home, so again, he waited for her to get home. Uh, he tied her up uh, and headed to the kitchen before he killed her. He went through her cabinets and found a couple cereal boxes, and he kind of, like, opened them and left them out on the table, thinking that he was making a clever joke, like cereal. cereal right. Thing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then he returned to Dolores and strangled her. Nice. Good. Uh, and then he kind of dumped the body in a lake near the highway. So it's like he's oh. getting... he's. He's caring less and less at this point. Yes. Yeah, he's getting pretty messy. Yeah. I mean, he's almost, what, 50? So, yeah. Yeah, he was 46. Right. So, um, after after he killed Dolores Davis, the desire to kill, like he says, the desire to kill went away. Um, so, he found a new way to control the lives of others. He became a compliance officer in Park City. Hmm. Um, so, basically... It gave him the opportunity to be, like, a sanctioned bully. <laughs> right. So he was just kind of, like, giving citations to everyone. He would, like, go up to, uh, like, someone's front lawn and, like, actually measure the blades of grass. And if they were over, he would give them a ticket. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. He, uh, you know, if, like, a single mother would didn't mow her lawn that week, he'd be like, here's a ticket. <gasps> That's awful. Yeah. Um, he also had a lot of dogs put down. Like, if someone, if there was oh. a, like, if there was a complaint about a dog, he would be like, we have to take this dog in. <laughs> and, like, he would have it put down. Wow. Yeah, this woman that lived, uh, like, in the neighborhood actually moved out because she couldn't handle Dennis Rader. Right, well, fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then again, at the turn of the century he was like "Ooh, i want to kill again mm. so um so he he wanted to but uh like around 2001 uh he realized that the science surrounding like dna was kind of getting more efficient yeah and they were using it to solve cold cases from like the 70s and the 80s um and he knew that he had left dna evidence at different crime scenes so he kind of right. like freaked out and worried that he would be next in you know the line of killers that were all being caught yeah um so he started like any evidence that he still had like things that he took from the houses he kind of disposed of right um so he didn't you know whatever <clears throat> yeah um so once he did that it was kind of he thought and everyone thought that btk would kind of just kind of just like go quietly into the history of true crime and just be mm. you know whatever right um until <laughs> a oh. lawyer named robert Beatty um gave an interview about btk he said that he believed that people had kind of just forgotten about btk um and he was writing a book on the killings and investigators mm -hmm. and dennis Rader heard about this and was infuriated at the thought that people had forgotten about btk how dare they? Um, which is, like, at this point, like, you're home free. Like, nobody's ever going to catch you if you just let it go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, But he took it as, like, a personal insult because he had worked so hard for the last 30 years to, like, get BTK's name out there. Right. Which is, like, put your pride aside for a hot second. <laughs> you know? Um, so he kind of, like, he went through whatever he had left of the evidence, like, whatever he hadn't gotten rid of yet. 
mm-hmm. and he found Vicky Weggerly's driver's license. And her murder had never been connected to BTK mm-hmm. because BTK never claimed it. And the hot dog right, squad yeah. was like, that's not him. Yeah. Um, so in Reader's mind, this would be the perfect op- opportunity to like strike fear into the people and tell them that he's still around. Um, so in 2004, he sent the driver's license along with a letter uh, to the Wichita Eagle, which was a local newspaper. Um, again, with the return name of Bill Thomas Kilman. Right. Uh, the person opening the mail that day recognized the style of writing, and instead of just, like, throwing it away and, like, whatever, uh, like, taking it as, like, spam or whatever. Yeah. Um, contacted the police, uh, right away. Right. So, the Wichita Police Department spoke directly to BTK through the media. Um, like, BTK would send them a letter, and they would in the like classifieds of the newspaper like respond to him because they didn't obviously they couldn't like write him a letter back yeah uh and then they also held like large press conferences to try to like get him to send them more information Mm -hmm. um so over the next 11 months raider communicated with them through like zodiac style like word puzzles right um and then also he would tape packages to street signs and the packages had uh letters like recounting the crimes so that they actually knew that it was him like he would include details that nobody else would know right um uh in october of 2004 raider was so confident in himself and btk that he decided to commit his retirement murder like he planned to commit (laughs) one one final you know hurrah yeah and uh but when he went to murder uh the victim uh work crew was kind of camped out on the victim's curb so he kind of just abandoned the idea and he was like "Mm, never mind (laughs) (laughs) he likes giving up yeah he does i mean like he's old he's older at this point so yeah it's got to be easy or it's not happening right well fair i guess um so as he continued communication with police he sent them a letter asking a question he asked them, can I communicate with a floppy disk and not be traced to a computer? Be honest. Under miscellaneous section 494, run it for a few days in case I'm out of town. I will try a floppy for a test run sometime in the near future, February or March. So another thing about, like, the letters make him sound, like, illiterate. Like, none of it makes sense. Right. <laughs> so... Obviously, he was asking if he can use a floppy disk because he was getting tired of writing letters. Right. And he was like, please be honest, police department trying to catch me for 10 murders. <laughs> I know. The audacity for him to be like, oh, yeah, they're not going to lie. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's amazing. So and again, he was older, so he didn't know how floppy disks worked. He like didn't know how computers worked. Right. All that stuff. Yeah. Um. So the police were like, yeah, no, floppy disk can't be traced. Not at all. And he was like, okay. So he went and he bought a floppy disk and he used the church computer to type up um, instructions on like how to communicate with him from then on Mm -hmm. and sent it to the police department. And all it took was a simple, there was one click on the properties field of the file for Raider's plan to kind of come crashing down. So they clicked on the properties file and they can figure out that 
um, the document had last been edited by a user named Dennis on a computer registered to Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I, why Why you would believe the police is amazing. Yeah, I know. Um, wow. But even after they found that, um, like, they did that, they searched up his name, and they found that he drove, um, like, a black Jeep Cherokee, which they had been kind of searching because they kind of knew the BTK drove one, but they weren't sure. Right. Um, but again, it was all circumstantial. Mm-hmm. Um, so they needed forensics to nail down BTK. Right. And Raiders' fear about the efficiency of DNA and the science behind uh, like DNA matching and, and things were about to come true <laughs> because he had left so much DNA at the crime, the crime scenes um, they needed to cross-reference it with something. Yeah. So it's actually, they cross-referenced it with a pap smear that Raider's daughter Carrie had. <gasps> what? Yeah. Wow. So I guess that's the, like, they, that's the only way they could kind of get DNA evidence from one of the, fa- one of his family members. Right. So they used that and obviously it came back as a match that they were related. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. Wichita, yeah, Wichita police. Like as soon as the results came back, they started typing up the warrants to to arrest him. Um, and on February twenty fifth, two thousand five, more than thirty years after Dennis Rader's first murder, two hundred cops were waiting to take down the BTK <gasps> strangler. Whoa! So yeah, so he as he was on his way home from work or home like for lunch. Yeah, there were cops at his house. There were cops at the church. There were cops at his job. There were cops all over the city, like waiting. Wow. For him. Yeah. Um. So the detectives trapped him, like as he was driving home, and he just kind of like went with without resistance. He was like, "Yeah, okay, okay yeah, you're arresting me. That's fine." <laughs> uh, I guess first... you can't really say anything. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so during the first few hours of the interrogation, like after they brought him in. He was trying to, like, make friends with the FBI agents and telling them that he didn't know who BTK was, but he admired him. Um, uh-huh. And then as soon as they were like, what about this floppy disk? He just admitted, I'm BTK. <laughs> Wasn't very hard, was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he immediately pled guilty and confessed to each crime in open court. Um, so Dennis Rader was sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences. Wow. Um, yeah, well, the so the state of Kansas, um, when he committed the crimes, the state of Kansas didn't have the death penalty. Uh. When he went to court, they did have the death penalty, but because he committed the crimes earlier, they couldn't give it to him. I see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 10 consecutive life sentences. Um, he's still alive. He currently resides at El Dorado Correctional Facility in Kansas. Wow. Yeah. And, like, as you are going with the story, it's obviously getting closer and closer to now. Yeah. (laughs) Which is so scary. Like, when we spoke last time about how it is that some of these are obviously really recent. Right. But, jeez. Wow. That's pretty scary. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. It's, like, just watching or like just reading and watching videos and like listening to podcasts about him yeah it's i I, it's not even necessary i mean 
I don't know. It's weird. Because, like, he's not the worst one. Like, there have been serial killers that have done worse things. It's just that this guy is, like, such an asshole. <laughs> yeah. That, like, almost makes it worse. But then also he's, like, super creepy because he's, like, hiding in closets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrifying. Because he obviously picks, like, a specific person to talk. Like, he targets a specific person. So it's, yeah, maybe not, like, that scary that anybody could be at risk. But those that he is at risk to, that's freaking terrifying. Yeah. This is why I hate opening the door to anyone. I'm like, oh, this is, why I, is my doorbell ringing? Yeah. <sighs> but to let yeah. them in, like to let, yeah, just to let anybody in that you don't know. Yeah, nope. I mean, I, I guess it was different in like the 70s, but why would you, ever, like, I just, I just can't wrap my head around like just letting people in. Yeah, and for the stupidest reason, like, oh, can I study here? No. Yeah, no. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> Oh, just go anywhere but here. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's BTK. Oh. See, I heard like I think I must have heard like little snippets of it, but I didn't know too much about him. So that's quite interesting. I bet yeah. he really likes that he is now popular. Oh, definitely. People like <laughs> he he's one of those serial killers that like people write him letters. Right. Like, telling him how much he loves them, or they love him, and things like that. Wow. Yeah. I don't... I don't really understand why people do that. You always hear of ones that, like, strike up a a romantic relationship or a love interest with a serial killer. And it's just... I don't know. I really wouldn't want to speak to one on that level. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Like, what would you even say to a serial killer? Me I personally, no <laughs> <laughs> I'd yeah. probably be like, "Well, you're a terrible person." Yeah, right. I mean, they must get that as well. Yeah, like I, even like obviously, I'm like into this kind of stuff, but I would never tell them. No, because that's what they want, right? Especially this one. Right. Mm. Well, yeah, I don't think I'd ever write to a, a serial killer. Like they're intriguing, but not. It's nice when they're like removed. But right, because yeah. imagine if they write you back as well. Like, how creepy is that? Like, ugh. oh my god, a getting a letter from just... BTK. <laughs> imagine. Send no, you a I don't poem. Want to. <laughs> oh my god, I I would pay for a poem for B, like a personalized poem. <laughs> well, he's got a lot of time to waste, so maybe all you need to do is just ask him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> write him a letter, please, BTK. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he would do it. Bet you would. Probably. Maybe yeah. we should try it. We're like, hey. Oh my god. <laughs> can I have a poem, please? It's my birthday tomorrow. He'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, happy birthday. Happy birthday. I will kill again. <laughs> Throw my name in there. For some yeah. random reason. Oh god. It would take like three years for him to write it as well. Yeah, it would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So yeah. the... <laughs> the serial killer that I chose was John Wayne Gacy. Oh my god! <laughs> Do you like him? I'm so excited. <laughs> Do you know much about him? 
Yes. You do. <laughs> oh, cool. Do. Yeah, he was another one that I didn't really know too much about. And I was like, wow, I really don't know anything about serial killers because there's so many of them. Yeah, John Wayne uh. Gacy, man. <laughs> he, he's another one. He's like, it's like terrifying, but like, it's yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. There are some similarities with him and BTK, I think. Um, that as yeah. we were saying your story, I was like, oh, Gacy's kind of like that. Um, right. So, yeah. <laughs> and he's also born around the same time. And I was like, that's weird. Yeah. So, yeah. So John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago on March 17th, 1942. So just before your guy. Um, Gacy was close to his mother and two sisters, but he actually endured a, diff- a difficult relationship with his father, who was an alcoholic who was physically abusive to his wife and children. The father also belittled him, calling him dumb and stupid and compared him unfavorably with his sisters. So he did have like a really terrible childhood. Right. right. So he had that that classic serial killer trauma. Exactly. So one of Gacy's earliest memories was being beaten with a leather belt for accidentally disarranging car engine components his father had assembled. His mother tried to shield her son from his father's abuse, which only resulted in accusations that he was a sissy and a mama's boy who would probably grow up queer. Like, great, that's real nice to say your kid. Um, Despite mistreatment, he still loved his father, but felt that he was never good enough. Um, So in 1949, when Gacy was seven, Gacy's father was informed that his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. His father whipped him with a razor strap as punishment. Isn't that awful? I mean, he did a very bad thing, but that seems like a bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely over the top, but also I feel like most fathers at that time would be like, good on you, son. So it's like, <laughs> find a happy medium. Yes. <laughs> but also I guess maybe, I mean, he was seven, right? So what, this little girl could not have really consented because who the hell right, knows what's right. going on at seven. Right, but, especially because there were two boys like, yes, yeah. it's it's problematic. I'm not saying it's not. Yeah. No, because I was just wondering, like, oh, I wonder if it was consensual. But obviously, they're all little, so they don't know what they're doing, right? Nothing at seven is consensual. No, <laughs> <laughs> no exactly. <laughs> well, I guess you do have, like, exploration. Be like, oh, what's that you have? But I Yeah, don't, but keep it, I don't keep think... it to yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so in that same year, a family friend would sometimes molest Gacy in his truck. And Gacy never actually told his father about this because he was afraid that his father would blame him. Yeah. Isn't that awful? Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So Gacy was overweight and an unathletic child. Um, and because of a heart condition, he was told to avoid all sports at school. During the fourth grade, Gacy began to experience blackouts. He was hospitalized on occasion because of the, seizure, the, the seizures and in 1957 for a burst appendix. Gacy estimated that between the ages of 14 and 18, he spent almost a year in hospital and attributed the decline of his grades to missing school. His father suspected that these episodes were an effort to gain sympathy and attention and openly accused his son of faking the condition as the boy laid in a hospital bed. I hate his father so much. I know, he's so awful. Like, leave the kid alone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then so even though his mother and sisters and close friends kind of believed him, they never actually sought a diagnosis, probably because of the father. 
So, so he was probably I mean, like sick, guy. but yeah, he's like a classic serial killer's father. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, no wonder. Yeah, it's like don't act like this to your kids because they will go out and kill mm. a bunch of young boys. Um, and then here's another bit. So it says, one of Gacy's friends at high school recalled several instances where the father ridiculed or beat his son without provocation. Once in 1957, he witnessed Gacy's father shouting at his son for no reason and then began hitting him. Gacy's mother attempted to intervene. The friend recalled that Gacy simply put his hands up to defend himself, adding that he never struck his father back during these altercations. And so like to do that in front of your kid's friends? Yeah. He has no shame. But it's also like, he never struck his father back. Yeah, because his father would have killed him. Absolutely, yeah. And that, yeah. It's what his father wanted, right? Just for him to be, like, defenseless. Yeah, his father was probably definitely one of those people who were like, go ahead and hit me. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And then you did and that was it. Your life has ended. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Um, would would that have been better? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he obviously... Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, obviously, you shouldn't kill your kid, but if John Wayne Gacy hadn't lived, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. But Sorry, maybe continue. he should have just not been an asshole. Like, don't yeah. be a Oh, well, yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. We could have avoided so much if you were just nice to your child. We would have, we would have had so many less serial killers if fathers weren't abusive in the 50s yeah yeah so people take this as a lesson don't be an ass to your children (laughs) or just in general (laughs) yeah just in general but also like to your kids yeah (laughs) especially to your kids (laughs) um so after a six-month courtship gacy met um a woman she was her last name was myers i didn't get her first name but they and so they got married in september 1964 his wife gave birth to a son in February 1966 and a daughter in March 1967. Gacy himself later described this period of his life as perfect. He had finally earned his father's approval. Uh, so when his parents visited in July 1966, the father actually apologized for the abuse and said, son, I was wrong about you. Oh, because it's okay, had... dad. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, right? All this, like, emotional trauma that you have caused. It's fine now that I'm married and have two kids. Yeah. (sighs) Ridiculous. Then, in August 1967, Gacy sexually assaulted 15-year-old Donald Voorhees. And I really like that his last name is Voorhees, because that's obviously Jason Voorhees' last name. Yeah, don't don't mess with the Voorhees. No, definitely not. So I wonder if this is where... His name came from, but I'm not I'm not too sure. Because it's obviously a, a unique surname that I've never yeah. heard before. Maybe. Um, I don't know. So Gacy learned Voorhees to his house. Affing promised him to show him pornographic films. Oh, the 50s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, 60s, 67 this was. Oh, well, so, all the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then he obviously went over and Gacy piled... Voorhees with alcohol and persuaded him to perform oral sex on him. Over the following months, Gacy similarly abused several other youths, including one whom Gacy encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into having oral sex on him, uh, performing oral sex on him. 
Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing he was commissioned to conduct homosexual experiments in the interests of scientific research and then paid them up to $50 each. Okay, if there's any children listening to this, <laughs> if anybody ever tells you that he, <laughs> that he has to conduct homosexual experiments, he's a serial killer. Run. Yeah. Like, what research? What are you talking about? But I guess, like, $50 would have been a lot of money then. I mean, it's quite a lot now. Yeah. <laughs> What's so, that saying? I I'm not gay, but $50 is $50? <laughs> well, I guess, I don't know if maybe he... if He must have been like, oh, hey, I have $50, but we have to do this scientific research. How? What do you think? You'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, if it's they're like, 15... Yeah. It's like a 15-year-old. They're not going to be like, so what do I need to do? Let's sit down and, like, map out a contract. So I feel like he took advantage of them kind of being naive. Right. Maybe. I don't know. But then also, is that a way for him to get away with saying it was consensual? Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. But again, because... the kid was 15, can't consent. But... No, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in March 1968, Voorhees, Voorhees reported to his father that Gacy had sexually assaulted him. The father immediately informed police who arrested Gacy and subsequently charged him with performing oral sodomy on Voorhees and the attempted assault of another 16-year-old called Edward Lynch. Gacy vehemently denied the charges and demanded to take a polygraph test because we know that those are 100% accurate anyway. Ridiculous. Oh, yes. <laughs> The results indicated that Gacy was nervous when he denied any wrongdoing in relation in relation to both young men. So good job. You wanted this polygraph test that didn't freaking work for, in your favor. Um, he publicly denied. So dumb. He publicly denied any wrongdoing and insisted the charges against him were politically motivated. Voorhees Senior had opposed Gacy's nomination for appointment as president of the Iowa Jaycees. Uh, several f fellow JCs found Gacy's story credible and rallied to his support. However, on May 10th, 1968, Gacy was indicted on the sodomy charge. On November 7th of the same year, Gacy later pleaded guilty to one count of the sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not guilty to the charges related to the other youths. He claimed that Voorhees had offered himself to him and that he had acted out of curiosity. Uh, and they didn't believe his story, which was good. So he was actually convicted on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years imprisonment, which he served at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. Um, that same day, his wife petitioned for divorce, requesting that she be awarded the couple's home and property, sole custody of their two children, and alimony. The court finally, ruled yes, finally, right? she a, a serial brain. killer's wife. <laughs> yeah. Who was like, oh, you're a bad person. Let me yeah. leave and get my kids yeah. out of here. Especially, like, right away as well. She didn't be like, oh, well, he didn't do it. And then he had to go and do other things to be like, oh, actually. Yeah. He's bad. So, good for her. <laughs> um, so, the court ruled in her favor and the divorce was finalized on September 18th, 1969. And he never saw her or his children again. So, good. she won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during his incarceration, Gacy rapidly acquired a reputation as a model prisoner. In June 1969, he was denied parole. 
However, to prepare for a second scheduled parole hearing in 1970, he completed 16 high school courses for which he obtained his diploma in 1969 in November. On Christmas Day in 1969, Gacy's father died from, this is cirrhosis, I don't know what that is, of the liver. When he was told the news, Gacy collapsed to the floor sobbing. His request for supervised compassionate leave to attend the funeral was denied. Which is kind of sad, because he didn't really get closure on that chapter of this relationship with his dad. Right, yeah, it was already bad, and then... He finally, like, made up with him, and yeah. now he can't go to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of sad. Um, Gacy was granted parole with 12 months probation on June 18th, 1970, after serving 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Condition of his probation included that he relocate to Chicago to live with his mother, and that he must observe a 10 p.m. curfew. So they're really... Nothing in, August... in there about staying away from kids, though. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1971 in August shortly after he and his mother moved into a new house he became he became engaged to Carol Hall who was a divorcee with two young daughters they were married on July 1st 1972 so his fiance and stepdaughters moved into his house soon after the couple announced their engagement and the mother then moved out of the house shortly before the wedding so he's breaking his condition <laughs> Um, yeah. By 1975, Gacy had told his wife that he was bisexual. After the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, he informed her that this would be the last time they would ever have sex. They began spending most evenings away from home, only to return in the early hours of the morning with the excuse that he had been working late. His wife observed Gacy break into her garage and found gay pornography and men's wallets and identification inside the house. When she confronted him about who these items belonged to, he informed her angrily that it was none of her business. Not looking good. <laughs> Imagine having that conversation like this is the last yes. time. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Are we not married? Like what? So they had yeah. been married three years by that time. Yeah. How do you bring that up? Like you have to be real comfortable to just be like, this is it. Yeah. And on Mother's Day as well. They're like, yeah. oh, thanks for being such a great mom to the kids. But never again. <laughs> <laughs> and then for him to bring, like, young boys home, I'd be like, no. That, no. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. then it's, again, here we have the, you know, stereotypical serial killer wife who's just like, why are you doing this? Why are you hurting me? Yes. It's like, he's bringing young boys home. <laughs> I know. There's a bigger issue here. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Ridiculous. Through his membership in a local moose club, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What they get down in, they get to in Chicago, I don't have a clue. Um, so he became aware of a Jolly Joker clown club. Whose oh members, yep, whose members regularly performed at fundraising events and parades, in addition to voluntary entertaining hospitalized children. In late 1975, Gacy joined and created his own clown characters, Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. He described Pogo as a happy clown, whereas Patches was a more serious character. Gacy seldom earned money for his performances and later said that acting as a clown allowed him to regress into childhood. He performed as both Pogo and Patches at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, and children's hospitals. 
Sometimes Gacy would remain in his clowning garb after a performance and briefly drink at a local bar before returning home. His voluntary public service as a clown throughout the year of his, the years of his murders led him to being known as the killer. I, I don't really like yeah. clowns. <laughs> yeah, I, so that's all. I like. I don't really have a problem with clowns generally, but after I learned about John Wayne Gacy, I was like, "Ooh, I don't trust them anymore." Yeah. Yeah, and for him to be like, I have two, and they make me feel like a child again, so that I can yeah. play with little boys and girls. <laughs> it's like, we, creepy. Again, if there was just like childhood therapy in these in these times, mm-hmm. so many less serial killers. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Like he just never had to have a never got to have a childhood. No, he couldn't because he was just living in fear the whole time because yeah. his dad just wouldn't let him be a kid. Yeah, like that. He wasn't man enough with, or whatever. Yeah, like having to repress his sexuality mm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because anything he did, he was just kind of told off until right. he married a woman, which his dad thought was that that's you know the only way that he could get approval from his dad. Right. Just it's the same thing sad. you see that with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer too. Oh, I don't think I know who that is. Oh, he's next. (laughs) (laughs) Start making a list. (laughs) So Gacy's first known murder occurred on January 2nd, 1972. According to Gacy's later account, following a family party, he decided to drive to the Civic Center in the Loop to to view a display of ice sculptures before luring a 16-year-old named Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. McCoy was traveling from Michigan to Omaha, Nebraska. Gacy took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago and then drove him to his home with the promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus. Prior to McCoy's identification, he was known simply as the Greyhound bus boy. So, Another PSA. If you're at a bus stop, (laughs) don't leave the bus stop in anything but the bus. Yeah, just don't talk to strangers. Yes, yes. Like, can you imagine just being, like, being 16 and some guy just comes over and is like, oh, hey, you want a, a tour of Chicago, of the city? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely in my car? not. I'd be like, no, <laughs> no thanks. I have a bus yeah. to catch. So that's really sad. Um, so Gacy claimed that he woke early in the morning, uh, woke early the following morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom doorway with a kitchen knife in his hand. He then jumped from his bed and McCoy raised both arms in a gesture of surrender, tilting the knife upwards and accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm. Gacy twisted the knife from McCoy's wrist, banged his head against the bedroom wall, kicked him against the wardrobe and walked towards him. McCoy allegedly then kicked Gacy in the stomach, doubling him over. Gacy grabbed McCoy, wrestled him to the floor, and stabbed him repeatedly in the chest as he uh, straddled him. As McCoy lay dying, Gacy claimed he would wash the knife in his bathroom, then went to his kitchen and saw an opened carton of eggs and a slab of unsliced bacon on his kitchen table. McCoy had also set the table for two. He walked into Gacy's room to wake him while absentmindedly carrying the kitchen knife in his hand. Gacy buried McCoy in his crawl space and later covered his grave with a layer of concrete. In an interview several years after his arrest, Gacy said that immediately after killing McCoy, he felt totally drained, yet noted that as he stabbed McCoy, as he listened to the gurgulations, 
love that word, and gasping for air, that he had experienced a mind-numbing orgasm. He added, that's when I realized that the death, the ultimate thrill. So. uh, God, I hate this guy. I know, he's so gross. So he, in the end, murdered at least 33 young men and boys. Six of the victims actually still remain unidentified. And if you go on Wikipedia, it shows like a list of, of those six. And so what they did was they found their bones and just remains and kind of determined what they would have looked like, how they would have been when they would have been killed. And I think that's really sad that nobody has claimed these, or not that claimed it, but they haven't been able to match up who these people are. Right. Like, did nobody know that they were missing? (laughs) I don't know. It makes me so sad. I also think like a lot of the a lot of his victims were either like runaways or right. kind of people who got kicked out like young boys that got kicked out for whatever right. reason so the right. parents just kind of assumed cuz like you know in the 70s mm. kids just kind of ran away yeah and i guess i mean that that sounds terrible but like it was just like, oh, like he got he ran away, we'll never see him again, or like he got kicked out, I don't really care. Right. I don't know. But even still, like if they were like, Oh well we found six victims in this guy's house. Yeah, wouldn't you double check? What... Yeah, right. <laughs> Especially now because I think what they they've had a forensic artist kind of right. reshape their like what they would have looked like at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Wouldn't you wanna know? I would. That... Yeah, right? I don't know. It's just sad. Um, he buried 26 of the 33 in the crawl space under his house. Just creepy. Um, so he, he basically would lure a lone victim to his house, although on approximately three occasions, uh, Gacy had what he called doubles, which were two victims killed in the same evening. Several victims were lured with the promise of a job, others with an offer of drink, drugs, or money for sex. And I guess if they're running away, they're going to need money, right? Right. And a place to stay, maybe. Mm. Um, His victims included people he knew and random individuals lured from Chicago's Greyhound bus station, Bug House Square, or simply off the streets. Some victims were grabbed by force. Others were conned into believing Gacy, who often carried a sheriff's badge and had spotlights on his black Oldsmobile, was a policeman. I still wouldn't go to a policeman's house. Yeah, I don't, a, a policeman would never ask you to come to their house. No, definitely not, right? Weird. Um, so inside Weird. his home, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess kids don't really know what they're doing, right? Yeah, I and mean, especially like in the set, like there's a reason that all these serial killers were active in the 70s. Like yeah. everyone was just stupid. Yeah, and you, yeah, so like there's not really, this doesn't really happen now because I think people are a bit more self-aware and know what could potentially happen. They could just be a, a lot more trusting back then as well. Right. But they're from people... Chicago. So it's like Chicago is not like some little town where everyone right. knows each yeah. other. <sighs> yeah. People are just more <laughs> self-aware now, but also mm. people like murderers get caught sooner because we have better yeah. true forensics and stuff. Yeah. And I guess they know they have to be a bit more careful because right. these guys just do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, it's oh, like yeah, twenty six okay. bodies under yeah. your crawl space. Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, this is my house. Exactly. And then when police like arrested him, he drew them a little map 
to be like, this is where this one is, that's where that one is. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just doesn't care. I'm <laughs> just like on a little napkin. Here you go. Here's one, <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so inside his home, his usual modus operandi was supply a, yo- a youth with drink, drugs, or generally gain their trust. Uh, Gacy would then produce a pair of handcuffs to show a magic trick, sometimes as a part of a clowning routine. He typically cuffed his own hands behind his back and then released himself with the key, which he had hidden between his fingers. He then offered to show his intended victim how to release himself from the handcuffs. With his victim mangled... Uh, no, not mangled. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not mangled. Not yet. So with the handcuffs on, he was. they were unable to free themselves. Gacy then made a statement to the effect of, the trick is you have to have the key. And Gacy referred to this act of restraining his victim as the handcuff trick. Having restrained his victim, Gacy proceeded to rape and torture his captive. He frequently began by sitting on the chest before forcing his victim to fillet him. Ugh, I hate that word. That's gross. Yeah, it's not a good word. <laughs> it's really not. He then inflicted acts of torture, including burning with cigars, making his captive imitate a horse as he sat on their back and pulled upon makeshift reins around their necks, and a violate with and violation with foreign objects such as dildos and prescription bottles after he had sodomized his captive. To immobilize his captive's legs before engaging in acts of torture, Gacy frequently mangled their, uh, again, not mangled, manacled their ankles. Are you okay? But, oh, no. <laughs> You're doing all right. I just, just want to say the word mangled. Uh, not mangled. <laughs> mangled, yes. Uh, so he, uh, with, yeah, so he took their ankles um, and put them on a two by two, a two by four with handcuffs attached at each end which was an act inspired by the Houston mass murderers. He dragged or forced several victims to crawl into his bathroom where he partially drowned them in the bathtub before repeatedly reviving them, enabling him to continue his prolonged assault. Never Casey, let a clown put you in, her, in handcuffs. Absolutely not. No way. I mean, Never also, let anybody no. put you in handcuffs. But also, like, if I went to some guy's house, for, like if I had even made it that far and he was like hold on I'm gonna put on my clown outfit I'd be like that's it line yeah. drawn I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. out <sighs> I don't want to see any of your clown tricks no freaking way <laughs> weird yeah, mm. so he typically murdered his victim by placing a rope tourniquet around their neck before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle he referred to this act as the rope trick frequently informing his captive this is the last trick. In at least one instance, he had a he had read part of Psalm 23 as he highlighted the rope around his victim's neck. Occasionally, the victim had convulsed for an hour or two before dying, although several victims died by asphyxiation from cloth gags stuffed deep into their throat, except for his two final victims. Oh, except for his two final victims, they were all murdered between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So I guess Wimper would be asleep. Um, and after they had died, Gacy usually stored the victims' bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours before then burying his victims in the crawl space where he periodically poured quicklime to hasten the decomposition of his victim. Some of his victims' bodies were then also taken to his garage and embalmed prior to burial. He's awful. He's such a... Ugh. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Just no words. <laughs> There's... It's... <sighs> I, like I, 
<laughs> he has me speechless. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all that's like absolutely terrible the stuff that he did. Yeah. It's like how do you how does someone even think of these things? I know. You know, it's like yeah, this guy was so messed up. Yeah, really. And you can go on Wikipedia and read like every single well, the ones that they know of, you can read the little stories. Right. So, if anyone's interested to read about the other 25 or so. About the killer clown. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, gross. <laughs> pack it up Pennywise. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if this, if he was an inspiration for it. I don't Probably. know. Probably. I think Maybe. he was, I think he was the first, like, you know, killer clown, and then he kind of inspired, like, the, the whole thing the whole nightmare right. remember when that was a thing like three years ago when everyone was just running around as a clown that was a terrible yeah. time yeah <laughs> i remember i was going to a to a football game at my high school and they were like oh yeah oh yeah we have like raised police presence because we had a clown threat it sounds it so like, unreal what? Yeah, yeah what they were like yeah they're planning to come out of the woods at halftime <gasps> that's scary <laughs> I still feel like I'm. You was did, no I clowns. was gonna say oh, you would have stayed home. Did they come out? Did you see them? No, there were no clowns. Oh damn! It was kind of upsetting. I was like, I kind of wanted to, kind of wanted to see how this would go. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so Gacy was brought to trial on February sixth, nineteen eighty. His conviction for thirty three murders was one of them was uh, right. So his conviction of for thirty three murders is the most for one person. In, individ in history, in the U.S. history. Right. So he has the most in the U.S. Um, the most murders or the most that he's been convicted of? Uh, I think for the conviction. Of, okay. That I guess that they would have known about as well. Okay. Because, yeah. yeah. I guess they gotcha. never really know. Um, right. Yeah, so one person, 33 murders in the U.S. So, yeah. Right. Weird. Uh, the jury deliberated for less than two hours and found Gacy guilty of 33 charges of murder. He was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with a child. Good, right? So at least yeah. they realized <laughs> that they were children. Right. Um, in the sentencing phase of the trial, the jury deliberated for more than two hours before sentencing Gacy to death for each murder committed after the Illinois Statute on Capital Punishment came into effect in June 1977. Gacy was sentenced to death on March 13, 1980, with the execution being set for June 2nd. Um, when he was on death row, apparently he spent a lot of his time painting. I don't know why they had to throw that one in there. Wait, what Get did you say? He, he spent a lot of his time painting Oh, when he was on death row. They just yeah. had to put that in there. Okay. He was Maybe an artsy the... guy. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, and so then he was actually executed by lethal injection on May 10th, 1994. So he's, he's not alive anymore, this one. But Bad. yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just sounds awful. Just like yeah. for no reason. Like just tortured young boys. Yeah, so gross. I, he's one of those where it's like you look at him and it's like, yeah, there's something off about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I feel really bad for him. And then I read what he did, and I was like, no, I don't feel bad for you. But again, yeah, it's one of those things that 
maybe if he wasn't treated like shit as a kid. Right. Maybe he wouldn't have grown up to be like that. Right. It's yeah. one of the, it's like uh, a lot of times with serial killers, like when you first start reading their story, it's like, oh, the, like he had a bad childhood, like that sucks. And then it's like, oh no, he, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would he have turned out like that if he didn't have that childhood? We learned with BTK that he had an alright childhood when he was still, still a murderer. Yeah. So I don't but know. He did get he did get dropped on his head as a baby. Oh yes, that that old chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and the smoking was it? The mom was smoking. Oh yeah, smoked yeah. heavily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you think one of those two is scarier than the other? Oh, I don't know, because it's very different. It's yeah. A, like, it's a different kind of fear for each of them. Yeah. Because, like, with BTK, it's like, oh, like, someone could be in your closet, like, waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I feel like John Wayne Gacy didn't really abduct people. He just, like, manipulated kids. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's different. Yeah, and he took advantage of, I don't know. Just gain their trust, which is a bit weird. Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that maybe I could have avoided that if if Gacy came to, you know, was like, "Hey, you want to come to my house?" I'd be like, "Well, no. Gacy, Gacy <laughs> was also into boys." So. Yes, yeah, children as well, like so young yeah. boys. So it, he would not be interested in me at this point in time. Be like, you know, yeah. she's I grew too out old. Of, I grew out of Gacy's type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm safe. <laughs> But not BTK, because he could have followed me home. Because he liked women. Yeah, so. he would have just stalked you and then been, like, in your bathroom. Yeah. But then I could have maybe punched him, and he'd be like, whoa, and then ran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, the, uh, it's so, it's, did none of these other people, like, resist at all? Seemingly not. I mean, I guess if he also had them tied up especially in handcuffs because with btk he was like stalking sydney and you could probably eventually get out of that but i guess with handcuffs it's a bit more difficult to escape i mean yeah that's kind of yeah (laughs) but yeah i also just don't like the fact that he like played with them like drowned them and then you know made them not I don't know, just kind of resuscitate them and then yeah, drown just, them again. And it's like just straight up torture. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a lot of other ones, uh, serial killers in general, will just be like, okay, I'm going to stab them a couple of times and they'll probably just die kind of right away. But with this, right. these, they've had to endure so much. Just, I don't know. So the last few hours, it seemingly went on for a long time, these games that he played. So they're, the last hours of their lives were just shit yeah yeah they're just scared the whole time torture yeah 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 it's like imagine like because the last couple hours of their lives they had to have known that like this is it you know yes yeah there's no way that you would ever be able to escape that right but um i'm gonna see how like how did they figure out that gacy was you know the murderer of all these people because there has to be kind of a way. Because they couldn't just be like, aha, it's him. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. 
Now, let me see. I'm going to do a quick, quick Google. I mean, obviously he was a criminal before as well. So if there was any DNA and stuff, they would have had it maybe on file. Right. And he was also in the spotlight because he was really into politics. So right, yeah, everybody, people knew everybody him. knew who he was. Yeah, so again, it's one of those things where he put himself kind of in this role where people look up to him. Kind of like your guy. Yeah. They're like, I'm a deacon. That's fine. But it's also like, don't, like, choose one, be a politician or a clown. Don't be both. <laughs> uh, can you imagine if, like, your local politician was a clown and came to, like, your kid's birthday party? I'd be like, this is too much. Absolutely I don't think not. so. <laughs> weird okay so i figured out okay so his last uh murder victim was somebody called robert peist um and so it says so on the afternoon of december 11th 1978 gacy visited the nissan pharmacy in deplane to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store owner phil torf while he was in then within earshot of a 15 year old part-time employee robert peist Gacy mentioned his firm offer hired teenage boys at a starting wage of $5 per hour, almost double what he earned at the pharmacy. So he was like, oh, come, I need to fix my, I don't know, house or whatever. Um, <laughs> and so he went home with him, I guess, thinking, so, so he didn't use the excuse of scientific research here. He was like, genuinely, do you want to come work on my house? Right. And the wage is double what you earn here. Um, and then obviously murdered him. Um, so let's see. So when Peist failed to return to his house, his family filed a missing person report with the police. Stupid. Torf then named Gacy <laughs> as the contractor Peist had most likely left the store with to talk about the job. So obviously then they put two and two together and they investigated Gacy further. Um, and then, so I guess just as a routine, they checked his criminal background and revealed that he actually had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and also served the previous prison sentence in Iowa. Uh, so then they went to his house and he indicated that he had seen two youths working at the pharmacy and that he had asked one of them, who he believed to be Peist, whether he could um, sort of help him. He was adamant, though, that he had not offered Peist a job and had only returned to the pharmacy after 8 p.m., as he had left his appointment book at the store. Um, yeah. <laughs> so obviously he's just telling lies. Yeah. Uh, they searched his house, uh, and then obviously figured out that he <laughs> killed 33 boys, at least. All right. That's it. So yeah, so that was dumb, I guess. A slip up there. <laughs> Being like, oh yeah, you can come to my house, and let's tell everyone else that you're coming to my house. Right. And thought he could get away with it, but yeah. But I guess that kid, his parents actually cared about him. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> actually reported him missing. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I mean that it's sad that he had to go through thirty-three people because that's quite a lot. Right. But I guess at least it ended there because I no doubt would say that he probably would have just continued on. Oh, yeah, definitely. He would have just <laughs> kept going. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of these things that he would have kept going until he got caught, and it just so happened it or was ran, number 33. Or ran out of room in, ran out of room in the crawl yeah. space. 
I mean, the way he put it, um, yeah, if you just go on, on Wikipedia, it has, like, the his little sketch. Mm-hmm. And he fit quite a few a few bodies in there. He must have been so good at Tetris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and probably just had a really bad sense of smell, because that would have stunk. Yeah. Like, dead, decaying bodies do not smell nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame that he just kind of dumped them there. Yeah. Mm. Do we know what happened to them after? Um, good point. They must have, they had to uncover them anyway, so they must have maybe given the ones back that they could um, identify back to the family. Right. Um, and apparently he also, did he throw one in the, in a river or something? Yeah. So there was, so he didn't put all of them in his basement. Okay. He put some somewhere else by a bridge on, in the river. They also found. Using his space responsibly. Yeah. (laughs) And actually that Robert Peist one, he didn't put in his basement. Okay. Um, yeah, so he put him uh, in the edge of the, the Deplaine River because uh, he was found entangled in ex- exposed roots. Gotcha. And it said, a subsequent autopsy revealed that three wads of paper-like material had been shoved down his throat while he was still alive, causing him to suffocate. Paper-like? That's nice. Yeah. I guess if he was... because So that was April 9th, 1977, when they found him. Um, and when was he supposed to have gotten murdered? December 11th, 1978. So some months had passed. So I guess he must have decomposed. And I guess with the elements, you're not really sure what exactly it was. Right. Just some, some kind of paper. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause wet paper is not, ugh, it creeps me out. (laughs) It's just like a wad of wet. Gross. Ew. (laughs) not something you want to have in your mouth yeah yeah he this guy is terrible don't like him yeah well we just covered two of the worst (laughs) yeah yeah but like yeah i don't know and i feel like last times were pretty bad as well so we really know how to pick them yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's all i have for today yeah is there anything else that you have that you'd like to add? Um, no, I don't think so. Just, you no. know, add me on Twitter at Hail Uncensored and Instagram is hail.mp4. That's yeah. all the self-promo I got for today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll definitely have you back for a few more episodes. Then we can, um, yeah, just keep chatting about serial killers. There's loads of them, isn't there? So we could oh, go yeah. on for a very long time. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I yeah. have so much fun doing the research and then talking to you about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because like I learn something new when I do research and then also listening to your story. So I get yeah. double <laughs> double the fun. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks everyone for giving us a listen. Um, as always, give us a follow, share, and subscribe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where we are mostly known as Bone Chillers Podcast, except for Twitter where we are randomly... Chiller's phone. 